They say never catch a falling knife. And I agree with them to a point. It's very difficult to make money when the market's dropping. It's a skill in itself and yeah. it's something that we manage to do most of the time. Mm. Don't always get it right. Most of the time we do, but it's not for the faint-hearted and it's certainly not for beginners. John Howard is one of the UK's most experienced property developers, traders and investors with over four decades of experience within the industry. John's extensive expertise stems from the sale and purchase of over 4,000 houses, apartments and developments across the UK, from traditional houses to hotels and large scheme developments. One of John's more recent projects being the PES 27 million construction of 150 apartments on Ipswich waterfront. John now shares his knowledge through his consultancy, seminars and four book. John appears on Sky's Property Elevator, a property graduate, alongside being a regular contributor for Property Question Time. Are you thinking about building your wealth? Are you thinking about where to start or not knowing where to start in your wealth creation journey? At Property Wealth Education, we teach people how to get started, how to build an empire, and how to invest passively and actively using property in your wealth creation. Month in, month out, week in, week out, we have curated courses that is available to you, free and paid, and through our upgraded mentorship program, The Wealth Circle. So if you're thinking of building your wealth, we want to invite you to click on the a link below the show notes on this video uh, to book a call with us we'd like to have a chat to help you start to build your wealth build a legacy for yourself and your family so john howard welcome to the wealth and business podcast thank you very much for inviting me i'm so looking forward to this it conversation took you a bit of time but you eventually invited me <laughs> <laughs> You're here. I'm here. All the way from Ipswich, All right? the way from Ipswich on my way to the Isle of Wight, would you believe? <laughs> oh, right. my days. It doesn't stop, does it? No, it doesn't. <laughs> well, I would have actually thought at your age... Thanks. You know, being in property as old as I am. <laughs> <laughs> and you're still grafting, John. Yeah. I really enjoy what I do. And, uh, yeah, I'm not that old. Well, but, uh, I've been in property as, as old as I am. Like, I'm 43 that's, years that's old. That's depressing to know. That's actually depressing. I thought you were older than that. It's a shame. No. I... Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, it's joking apart. No, it, it's it's flown by. It really has flown by. And I really enjoy, I, you know, I, I really enjoy meeting meeting people yep. and um, doing the deal, yeah. you know. And yeah. that, it's all, the fun is doing the deal. And I was talking to um, an 81-year-old gentleman the other day mm who owns a lot of property in Norfolk, very wealthy man. And he's just done a deal with another guy I know who's 84, mm. who's, who's just bought um, a, a site off him for three and a half million. Mm. So they're still doing it at the age of 81 and 84. So I've got a long way to go, yeah. You've got a long way to go. Yep. For someone like you who've been in property for over 40 years, yeah. you've seen all the seasons. Yes. You know, I, I would love to use the word seasons because in life we have summer winter sure. autumn spring we have all yeah. these different types of work so you've been around you've seen it i've all. seen it i've survived three serious property recessions mm. let's actually start from that what is recession in the first place well a recession really is when is when the economy um bombs if you like uh, for want of a better word and um many people get into financial trouble financial difficulty employment goes up um, and um, in many cases, inflation goes up at the same time, yep. and it's a, it's a very serious situation uh, that normally lasts two or three years. This episode of the Wealth and Business Podcast is brought to you by our partner and sponsor, Ramsey & White. Ramsey & White is an award-winning specialist intermediary covering property, finance, wealth management, and estate agency. The Ramsey & White team can help you secure or source funding for your buy-to-lets, your HMOs, your commercial development, holiday-lets, portfolio acquisition. They also offer financial reviews covering pension and investment. Not restricted by lenders or locations, the team at Ramsey & White will help you build momentum covering or growing your investment portfolio. Feel free to contact Ramsey and White, who is our partner and our sponsor for this episode of the Wealth and Business Podcast. 
The links to contacting Ramsey and White will be somewhere around the show notes. Make sure to reach out to them as this company has actually helped me build my property portfolio over the last six years. You know, people often say, oh, don't get into property. There's recession ongoing. And what would you say to that? Because yes, obviously, you know, recession is when, you know, the, the, the entire economy is going through challenges, financial traumas and all these different issues. And people say the best time to buy properties is even in recession. I mean, for someone who's been through that cycle, <clears throat> you've done over 4,000 property transactions yep. and you, you've basically seen it all in property. So one of the reasons I'm so excited for this interview and this chat with you on the World Time Business Podcast today is because I'm going to be able to learn a lot from you. You know, so what would you really say? So when people use that word, the best time to get started in property is now recession, recession, no recession, interested or no interest I would get agree, started. I would totally agree with them that it, the best time to buy is coming out of a recession. But of course, you need to know the telltale signs of when you're coming out of the property recession. And I've made more money coming out of property recessions than at any other time. Because mm. when the market is too hot and everyone's doing it, I, with my seminars, I have a thing where I talk about my dog, Mabel. Yeah. And my dog, Mabel, could make as much money as everyone else yeah. in a rising market. As long as her paw was a signature, she could make as much money as the rest of us. There's nothing clever in it, particularly. Yeah. Apart from the fact she wouldn't know when to stop. And knowing when to stop is the key. Because you, you take some gamblers, they make the money but then they don't know when to stop and they then lose it again. Yeah. So knowing when to stop and seeing what's going to happen and reading the market is vital. I totally agree with you. Reading the market, it's it's something that it's so valuable. You have to understand yeah. what, what is the market because yeah. I was having a very interesting conversation with someone, uh, you know, and then they said to me, I want to do flips in this market. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, depending on the kind of flips yeah. you want to do, because, you know, when the, the market, at the moment, we have the we have the interest rates crisis. Perfect storm at the moment. It's been a perfect storm. So you've had you've had bill costs go up thirty percent over the last two or three years. Yep. You've had interest rates double. You've had um, you've had property prices drop ten to fifteen ten to fifteen percent, depending who who's telling the truth, who isn't. Now, of course, it's a micro market, so there's always somewhere in England, Wales, Scotland, Ireland, where the market hasn't dropped and it might have even gone up a little bit, but that will be for other reasons. But in general, the market has got tough. I borrowed 4.2% from one of the big banks four years ago, three years ago, to do a development. I borrowed the money at 6.1%. I spoke to them the other day. I paid them back last year. They'd be glad, you'd be glad to know. <laughs> I, I spoke to them last week, week four, about... Um, some more finance for different projects and they said john that will now cost you 12.5 percent yeah that's the difference now that's a hell of an increase yeah for anyone to so anybody in the middle of a development where they've got interest rates going up like that yeah. with with materials going up 20 30 percent with prices coming down that's what i call a perfect storm and very few people very few people can survive that i always say with a property recession it's this first year the idiots go Second year, the people have just been a bit unlucky go. Yeah. Yeah, they're about the timing's wrong. You know, we, we developed 150 flats in Ipswich. If that wasn't, if I had 150 flats on the market now, I'll be concerned. I've sold them all. Done. But I'll be concerned if it was now. Uh, and then the third thing, the rest of us go. <laughs> or we don't go, but we have to pull our horns in and we have to work out, duck and dive and get out of the market or whatever we do. Yeah. Because eventually, if the market drops 35%, we're all in trouble because mm -hmm. the banks come to you and say, which they did in 2008, John, you know, you've got a four million revolving facility you're not using, overdraft facility. Uh, we're going to take it off you. Yeah. Okay. And by the way, your portfolio is worth 35, 30% less or 35% less than it was last year. Yeah. So we want that revalued and we want you to pay to sign a personal guarantee for three and a half million quid. Now, I didn't have any personal guarantees when I walked in that bank yeah. in 2008. I walked out with <laughs> my four million overdraft city gone and having to sign a three and a half million pound guarantee. 
And then they said, after revaluing all the properties, which cost 84,000 quid to do, which they took out of my account, yeah. oh, we want our money back anyway. Mm. Now, fortunately, because I wasn't overgeared, we can move to a different bank and there was no problem. But of course, if you're overgeared, that's a problem. I mean, in today's world, when we talk about overgearing and not overgearing, but overgearing seems to be something that is becoming very popular, as you already know. Yeah. Um, for me, I kind of like it, but I kind of, again, know how to control it. One of the biggest thing is you must know when to start and when to stop. As absolutely. you mentioned, when to enter, when to leave. Without question. Yeah, yeah absolutely. That's but, quite important. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and and talking about overgearing, mm. okay. Now, for those who don't really understand, you know, because on our podcast, we have, we have cross audiences, yeah. business, property, yeah. You know, entertainment, those that love a little bit of fun, seeing yeah. some properties being developed. And when we have, you know, special guests like you, you know, we might have to obviously de de define some yeah, of the word. So what does overgearing mean? And then I'm going to obviously... So overgearing is when um, you borrow too much against a property. So say say you borrow 90% loan to value. In other words, if, if the property is, is £100,000, you borrow 90000 to buy the property at £100,000, so you only put 10000 in. And then the market drops 30%. So now, all of a sudden, the property's only worth 70000 and you owe 90000 Then that's overgearing. Mm. Now, there's a time... That, you know, people talk about good debt and bad debt. And the time to be ballsy with your debt is when the market's on the bottom and starts to come up. And that might be shares, it might be property, whatever you do. Yeah. That's the time. And and the timing is the it, timing is everything. So if you're looking at a development now, which you know, we are looking at doing developments, and that development won't be ready for two years, is it a good time to buy or not? Because in two years' time the market will be a lot different than it is now. Yeah. Catching a falling knife, they say never catch a falling knife. Never catch a falling knife. And I agree with them to a point. It's very difficult to make money when the market's dropping. Yeah. It's it's a skill in itself and yeah. it's something that we manage to do most of the time. Mm. Don't always get it right. Most of the time we do, but it, it's not for the faint-hearted and it's certainly not, I don't think, for for beginners. However, that that is now... Of course, if you're renting the property out for many years, doing rent-to-rent -rent or buy-to-let, then actually it doesn't really matter because over 20, 25 years, the market's gone up 5% a year. So yeah. if, you're keep, if you're retaining things for long-term, property long-term, that's very different to property developing. Much safer. And it doesn't really matter to a point when you buy because you know it's going to come back and do better than what you paid for it in the first place. One of the greatest lessons I learned from my late father, he says, as long as you buy land and you know how to bank them, yeah, well, you know, sure. you know what they say about land? They're not making any more of it. Yeah. And there's they, not, they don't make any more land. And there's not enough of them. No, absolutely. Yeah. And he's absolutely right. Wise man. Wise, absolutely. And no one I give it to a wise son like me. Well, that's, that's <laughs> he's obviously passed it on. Yes, he did. So we talked about overgearing there, you know, uh, but in terms of overgearing money, you know, so for example, you know, people who are leveraging, you know, other people's money, yes. something I'm very passionate about, by the way, leveraging other people's yeah. money to acquire asset and, mm. you know, leveraging the same property to pay back the investor. Yes. You know, at some point you will overgear, you will, you will overgear anyway. So at some point there are these I did in the, you know, in the past where uh, I've gone up to 85% loan to value. And I've also gone to 85% loan to value, but obviously time has but, passed but, now. But Daniel, you know what you're doing. That's the difference. You know what you're doing and you advise people accordingly so they know yeah. what they're doing. Yeah. So I think that's very different to someone just coming out of the blue and saying, oh, this is what I'm going to do because without any advice or experience, that's dangerous. Yeah. And, and a lot of people don't, you know, spend time to actually, like you said, the experience, the knowledge, knowing what you're doing. Because traditionally, a lot of people see property you know and see different different types of strategies and especially with a lot of uh you know i'll use the word gospel or rather uh people who are shouting out about get to property get rich tomorrow and people not really understanding that property is not 
you know get rich quick but it's definitely get rich for sure as long as you understand exactly yes. like what you said you know the traditional buy to let people buy in properties to hold on to those property yes. for a longer time then you can buy in any market but if you're trading it if you're trading it it's different and you it, it's a it's it's a different skill set one that you can teach people without question and we both do that yeah um but you still need to have a bit of a, a, a talent. I think you need a feel for it. You need a feel for it. You try and teach me to be an accountant, Daniel, and I wouldn't have a clue. True. I'd be terrible, terrible, terrible accountant. I'd be awful. And an accountant, and I have one or two of them. <laughs> I've had on my seminars and stuff. Don't make very good. Don't make very good property developer because yeah. they they haven't got that feel. They're too they're too sort of you know, upright, if you like, and stringent and haven't got that natural feel for a deal. Yeah. But they're brilliant at what they do. So it's horses for courses, really. You true, know? true. And not everybody can, not everyone can transfer. And if they can't, I say to them, say, look, I don't think it's for you. You're better better off perhaps to be an investor and let someone else do it yeah. and, and take a share that way. So yeah. there's lots of different ways of making money out of property. Lots of different ways. 100%. 100%. So, John, let's go back way back uh, way back about 40 years now yeah, when you first great, started thanks. property yeah, <laughs> I'm not going to depress you at all good so looking back for mm. over 40 years you've been yeah. in property what would you say three major things it took you to stay in the market mm. 40 years later alright that's number one so mm. three things that made you stay in the market that's one and then the second question is that when you started property over 40 years ago did you have the money did you just get into property <clears throat> and my third question as well is that it's like an exam I can never <laughs> remember all this lot okay I've paused there first question me. come yeah so, come so okay so 40 years yes what are the three things that you think you learned in keeping in this market well my wife says i've got one talent and one talent only which is a bit depressing really well that is dogged determination mm. dogged determination and i would say being mentally consistent mentally consistent doing what you need to do every day and being consistent finding deals especially i've dedicated my life really to find property deals and sometimes I go for three or four months without finding a good deal. Other times I might get two or three fall on my lap. So doggy determination. Um, I love the saying that um, form is temporary, class is permanent, because you can't always hit, you can't always ring the bell. You know, things are gonna go wrong in property um, outside your control sometimes, um, but it's how you deal with those difficult situations. That's what makes you into a good property developer or good investor. Not when it's easy, you learn nothing. When it's tough and it's difficult, it really sorts people out a little bit. Mm. And uh, it puts you in a very good position for when the market improves. So someone else who has been in the industry for over 40 years, I want to keep going back to that because it has a really strong significance. Yeah. You know to this interview because um experience knowledge beats anything well it's interesting there were i think it was 50 50 chairman of companies uh, big companies were asked would you pick someone who's got a degree top degree to run your company or someone with charisma and uh, an energy to themselves and they, every one of them said charisma and energy yeah charisma and energy and i think if you look at the political scene at the moment, which I'm relatively close to, <laughs> um, you know, neither leader at the moment, or neither all three leaders, if you like, the main parties have got charisma. None, neither of them have, yeah. or, or none of them have. All three, the liberals either, um, they haven't got charisma. Uh, they're very bright, very very clever people, but they haven't got charisma. But what about the one who has gone? to employ those with experience around him, including the former prime minister? Well, it's all about, I always say this, um, surround yourself with the best people you can afford. Yes, best brains. The best brains, the best people, because you know what, the best brains and people don't cost a lot more than the ones that aren't quite so good. Yeah. Uh, and, and I hope everyone who works with me and who consults to me is brighter than I am. Mm -hmm. I, I don't have a problem. I'm a really good delegator. I'm not a consultant. I'm a delegator, um, and 
I try and surround myself with really good people and then I support those people really. And if there's a problem, I deal with it. You know, you always end up dealing with the problems. It's no, it's not as fun as it used to be. Yeah. Because you end up doing the difficult bits mm -hmm. and you let everyone else do the easier bits, to yeah. be fair. But that's all part of it. Yeah. Someone who's done over 4,000 properties. Yeah. Finding money. Yeah. How has it always been for you? <clears throat> well, let's start from the very start. From the very from, okay. from the very start. Well, I always say I always say to people, you know, um, the first people to go to to borrow money if you haven't got any is your family, and not every not every family can 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 help. I understand that. Yeah. But let me tell you how it all started for me. It all started really for me with my grandparents, who in 1947. Jesus Christ, me. I know. I wasn't alive then, by the way. Okay. In 1947, they owned a shoe shop in Mansfield. Okay. And they, two boys came into that shop. And my grandfather was so impressed with these two boys that went to Gresham School in Norfolk. Yeah. That he vowed that he would set a trust up and he put enough, that him and my grandmother would save enough money for my, for his grandchildren to go to that school. Yeah. And luckily, there was only one daughter. <laughs> Otherwise, I don't think he could have done it. Yeah. And all three of my mother's, you know, all three of us went to private school on the back of my grandfather and my grandmother saving money and putting it into a trust. And although I, academically I didn't do very well, I was very sporty, but it gave me a great start in life because I mix with people with money and I mix with people without money. And also I had ginger hair, which I still got, thank God. And I stammered. So when you put all that combination together, away at school, stammer, stammer, red hair, you know, you have to take the rough with the smooth. And nowadays it would be called bullying probably in those days, just got on with it. Yeah. Um, and uh, that, that, that mold your character and uh, I've always been able to, you know, laugh at myself and, and, and have a certain amount of humour, which I think hopefully normally works when I speak at events. <laughs> Not always, probably. Yeah. But I normally, you know, there's some people that can tell jokes, Daniel. I can't tell a joke. I'm terrible at jokes, so don't do it. There's some people who can, who have got a little bit of a blag, if you like, and, and, can, and can make things more amusing than others. And if you can do that, do it. If you can't do it, don't. Don't, and yeah. we've seen that, haven't we? Both of us at different events yeah. where people think they're funny and they're not. they're not. And it just comes across really badly. But I've always had that ability, um, once I go over my stammering, to be able to be relatively amusing. And I always say, if you're doing business, you need to do it with a smile on your face. Yeah. And I think that's important. Yeah, it's very, very important to do anything you're doing in life with a smile on your face. Yeah. A, smile can, a smile can do a lot. A lot. I, I always used to say to the kids, always, you know, get rid of that face, always smile. And when you're going down the drive, whether, whether you're saying good morning to uh, Bert the gardener or, you know, Sir Somebody Somebody or whatever, you treat everybody the same way. True. Everybody gets treated the same way. And, and I've made sure that they do that. And I've always done that. And I think that's so important. Very, very important. So John, for someone like yourself who has got so many experiences and you had the opportunity to have been supported by your parents yeah. to start, yeah. uh, obviously you mentioned the best way to always start is friends and family. Yes. I would rather family first before yeah. friends. Yes. You know, in these days, again, it seems to be like nothing has really changed, isn't it? Because I teach people these days about, yes, f the, the, the first bank, of borrowing starts from banks of mom and dad, friends and relatives, work it, colleagues. It, it's very interesting that 35% of first time buyers this year have borrowed money from their parents or family. And the eighth biggest bank or lending institution yeah. this year in the UK, lending so far 8.2 billion pounds is the bank of mom and dad. Which is amazing, isn't it's it? It's amazing. And what happened for me, my father was a greengrocer and uh, 
he had a good business, good little business. And then he decided one day he wanted to be an estate agent when he was 60 odd. So sort of my age. And he bought a small agency in the same town. So yeah. one day he was a greengrocer, next day he's an estate agent. Bit tricky that. Yeah. Bit tricky to explain that one away. But anyway, he did. And uh, he ran it very, very, him and a secretary in those days, very modestly. And then um, he'd been ill and I joined him when I was 17 because I could learn to drive. Yeah. And uh, after four months, he was ill, went back to hospital. So I was running the show at 17 years, four months, yeah. not having a clue. Mm. Didn't like answering the phone because I stammered and didn't want to make a phone call. Bit of a problem. I was doing property management. I was doing all sorts of different things. Mm. Sales, trying to do sales. And then he came back and, and we were working together and so on. And then I there was two estate, two property developers we used to deal with a bit. And they were, they had a, a the 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 end of the rump, if you like, the end of a development, which yeah. was a cottage and a flat that were rented out as regular. In those days, they were regulated tenants, so you couldn't get them out. They were sitting tenants, basically. Yeah. And they uh, said, "Do you want to buy it?" And I said, "Well, no, I'm going to buy it." But on the money. So what I did, I spoke to my mom. my dad. Wouldn't lend me the money because he didn't want me to lose it. So I spoke to my mother and my mother said, how much interest will I get? And I said, whatever I say, I can't remember what it was in those days, 10% probably. And what share of a profit will I get? I said, well, I wasn't going to think, I wasn't going to give you a share of profit as well, mum, but I can do. So we agreed, I think she took, I think 25% share of the profit yeah. and interest. And I bought it, I bought two. So on my 18th birthday, I bought some money from the bank I had a thousand pounds I saved myself and I had my mother put in for, I think the, I think I paid 7,800 for these two flats. 7, I sold, I sold one of them for 6,000 pounds to the tenant who was already in there because they got a discount because they were sitting tenants. And yeah. I, I arranged that before I bought it. And I do that quite a lot where even now I might sell, agree to sell a property before I've paid for it as part of, you know, part of it yeah. to help. And then I was left with the other one. So my mother got her money back. She bought herself a new kitchen because my dad wouldn't buy her a kitchen. New kitchen. So she said, I can buy it myself now. Thank you very much. So she bought a new kitchen. She was delighted. Yeah. And of course she said, what's the next deal we're doing together? Mm. So, and that's how, that's how it, that's how it all started for me. I recently did a video out there and I said, it's better to own a percentage of a billion that to try on a billion yourself. Sure. And clearly what your mother demonstrated there was... <laughs> you she know, was on the ball. She, she was, was on, on the ball. ball. You know, she was, she was on, on the ball. Heart. She's always been... Um, she's uh, She died last year, but she's always been uh, very, very supportive to all three of us. And, you know, was we had great confidence in me that I could do it because, you know, um, she was... I'm sure she wasn't sure I could do it. Yeah. But, but she had the confidence to let to lend me the money. And, and I found it very natural. And I realised very quickly that I didn't really want to be an estate agent. I wanted to buy and sell property and be, and be, a, um, a, be a, a property developer. And when I was little, I used to buy, I used to buy bikes off, out of the local paper and leave them out the front to, to my mother's disgust to, to see if I could sell or, or, or um, lawnmowers, push lawnmowers in those days. You know, it was, uh, she wasn't too impressed, but um, there we go. Wow, what a journey, hey? Yeah. So you're someone that's now, you're very well established in the industry. In fact, your your name, John Howard, is a name that anywhere is mentioned, everyone just says, the old John, the guy with the most wisdom, knowledge. <laughs> old John, I'm not sure I really like that terminology, <laughs> old John. That might stick now. You've got so many listeners in this podcast. It goes to thousands and thousands of people. Thanks a lot. I'm now going to be called old John. Thanks a lot. You know, the old job with the knowledge, like yeah. you've achieved some great things and you focus on commercial uh, development, mm -hmm. you know, property development, you build houses, you build yeah. multiple buildings. Yeah. Mot you know, one of your most recent project acquisition was 26 million. Yeah. You know, that is huge. Not all my money, unfortunately. Of course. But um, <laughs> it'd be nice if it was. Uh, no, and, and and that project, you know, it, it, people, you know, it, actually, uh, I know it's, it might sound a bit flippant, but yeah. at that level, everything is done for you. Mm -hmm. So actually, 
you've got so many consultants. I mean, on that job, you know, 150 flats plus yeah. the commercial bit at the bottom, 840,000 pounds worth of consultants on the job. Yeah. So, you know, at that level, you're looked after. You're looked after. Um, whereas when, you know, when I, when I still do, you know, I buy a house in seven flats or five flats or something, you know, I'm, I'm having to, <laughs> I'm not spoiled in those ones. I'm, I'm, you know, I've got a building surveyor, but you know, I'm still ducking and diving and, and getting it all organized and sorted and trading and then selling it. And so, you know, I've got a sales director for the bigger projects, but certainly I'm still very much hands-on, if you like, for the smaller ones myself. Yeah. yeah. And I enjoy the smaller ones, you know, I enjoy, I think the other thing is, Daniel, that a lot of property developers have done the sort of deals I do or have done, don't do small deals anymore. Whereas I'm happy to do, I'm happy to do a deal if I can make some money, I'll do yeah. it property wise. A lot won't, oh no, we don't do anything less than so many million or whatever, all that business. I will. I'm very happy. If you can find me, if you can find me a, a house for 60,000, I can sell for 80,000, Daniel, I'll buy it tomorrow. There you go. There's a challenge for you. Absolutely. Always a challenge. I love <laughs> Always the, a challenge. I, I love those challenges. It, it, you know, interesting you say what you said just now. It's like the bigger you get, the easier this actually becomes, yeah. to be honest. Yeah. I remember, I mean, for me, I started from rent to rent, walked my way up to doing refurbs yeah. uh, using the buy refurbishment finance model and just sitting down with, you know, a legendary like yourself, I would say, uh, who's been in property. I think you mean old, but carry on. Old John. <laughs> yeah, go on. <laughs> yeah, so a legendary like yourself who's been, you know, who's been there, done that, you know, you know, done multi, multi-million pound projects. Now, John, what is the best two things to look at? All right, number one, when it comes to funding. That's number one. Well, well what I would say is... Um, the two most important things are trying to come on, come in on the project, whether it's two flats or 150 or more, is coming on time and on budget. On time and on budget. And that's very hard to do, to come in on time very. and on budget. And everyone struggles to do it. We struggle to do it all the time. All the Even the big contract, you know, whoever big and successful you are, it's very, very difficult to do. And by the way, everybody in property development has lost money at some point on a deal. So if anyone says to you, they've never lost any money in property and they do property development, not, not investment, property development, they're liars. Promise you, we've all done it. Doesn't matter if you're, you know, however big you are, big PLCs, they've all, they've all lost money on deals. We all have, but it's how you deal with that situation is what is the difference. That's the first thing. In terms of, in terms of borrowing money, I always think you need to, um, and we borrow money from bridging companies now, because we have to, and we also borrow money from well-known, well-known banks. Okay. And I think the most important thing is to give those banks and investors, and it might be that you might be that you you borrow money from a private investor. Yeah. But the most important thing is to give them confidence. Give them confidence. Um, under promise and over deliver. It's hugely important. Whoever you're dealing with, that the outcome is better than they thought it was going to be. Yeah. Um, you know, and a simple example of that is if they thought, uh, if they think there's, you're going to make a hundred, they're going to make a hundred thousand out of the deal, um, and you tell them eighty and they make a hundred, they'll be delighted. Yeah, delighted. That's important that that you underpromise and overdeliver. You do it the other way, and you and, and oh, we made twenty thousand less than we thought. You know, it's still a good it? result, but yeah. it's the same figures. Yeah. So it's really that's really important, and the, and in a way, it's the same with the banks because you get a reputation with the banks. They'll, they, you know, they've got confidence in you. They will lend you the money. And a, and a, a, a managing director of quite a big bank said to me the other day, and he's absolutely right. We lend to the person as much as we do the deal. We lend to the person as much as we do the deal, and that is absolutely right. You know. You're absolutely right. I think I had the opportunity to spend a couple of days with you the other day. And I said to you during our conversation, and I said that there was a specific deal I was doing and the lender had to, for some reason, what's the lender looking for my social media? So basically this lender has gone, looked at my social media. Must be a fan. <laughs> so this particular lender had gone through my social media and because, especially on LinkedIn, LinkedIn, tell, LinkedIn can actually tell you who looked yeah, who, at you? Who checked you out? Yeah. Who checked you out? Where Where did they work yeah. and stuff like yeah. that? So all of a sudden, I saw 
you know i'm not yeah. going to mention the company i'm going to give them free ad <laughs> i'm not going to give them free advertising so anyways i saw that they looked at me and for me that process of them looking at me was later at some point because they did send an email through asking more questions yeah. so i saw that what they were doing actually was credibility analysis yeah uh, you know credibility analysis okay number one i'm a portfolio landlord and uh, they wanted to verify a few things here and there so yeah absolutely completely agree with you that somehow when we do deals you know credibility is everything. i think credibility is everything uh, and sometimes you know you you can buy a property cheaper because of your credibility than someone else has offered because they'd rather deal with you because they know you're going to do Good the company, deal yeah. uh, rather than someone they don't know, even if they've offered, offered more money. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I think one thing I always say with this social media, and we're all involved in it one way or the other, is be careful what you put on there, especially privately. Be careful what you put. If you're going for a job interview or anything these days, um, you know, be careful what you put on there because it can it can... It can come back and kick you up the backside. Yeah, especially in the world we live today. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 You're very, very right. So, John, you you've built a multi-million pound personal property portfolio. Yeah. You've you know own multiple lettings agent, exited a few as well. Uh, you own hundreds and hundreds of properties, and you're still very active. Mm. How do you cope? <laughs> well, very easily because I because I delegate, I delegate, and um, you know I end up not always doing the nice bits. Someone else does those these days in a way. I end up probably doing the, the bits that aren't so nice sometimes. You know, but, you know um, the challenges if you like sorting out problems. But um, I really I, I don't find it that difficult. Um, you know, we've got we've got seven, eight different sites on across the UK at the yeah. moment, but I've got good people running them. Um, everyone's got every site we have's got a challenge. You know, we only really at the moment we've only been buying most of the sites we've been buying has been have been off receivers, administrators. So, um, so we're buying redundant buildings that or buildings that are part finished. Uh, so they come with their unique challenges because someone's failed with them. Yeah and we have to unravel the problems and, mm -hmm. and put them right yeah. to make them saleable again. Yeah. Uh, but I enjoy that side of things. And we've, you know, we've done, we've got two deals in Scotland at the moment we're doing. Um, and as I said, it's taken me 42, well, I bought them last year, so 42 years to do a deal in Scotland, basically. Um, but I got there in the end. So, and, and now I like the Scottish market and I think we'll do more up there. Yeah. So, you know, it's nice to, I was in the Isle of Man a few months ago looking at a deal um, on a church where someone's someone's gone bankrupt and they've got 12 part finished flats in the church. So we're hopefully doing that deal. So we'll go anywhere. We've got, we're doing a deal in Cardiff at the moment. We've done a few deals there over the years. Um, so I think having that, that, that sort of traveling a little bit and, and having a varied portfolio is, is quite interesting and me you meet different people and of course with my you know my, my seminars and other bits I do YouTube and this sort of stuff yeah a bit of TV it's all good fun you get time to do so many things you're on TV prop, mm. you're on property elevator yeah you're a property graduate property yeah. graduate consistently yeah. on the National Residential Landlord Association you're yeah. consistently featured on that yeah. on that platform yeah and um, and and you do so much. Where do you get all the energy from? Well, I I I, I just just do it naturally, really. I don't really you know really, don't really think about it too much. Um, uh, I I just get up in the mornings, nice and early, and crack on. It's as simple as that. Simple as that. So let's talk about my favorite part, which I'm transitioning into now. Mm -hmm. I'm transitioning into residential development, which yes. me, which means building. You know, from the ground up. Yes. You know, I enjoy refurbs. Yeah. This money in refurbs. Yeah. But having sat where you sat mm. and you spoke about development, you know, it just kind of opened up a new horizon for myself. Yeah. What is the first thing anyone looking to? I mean, for someone like myself, let's go from two angles. So, from someone like myself, who basically has got some level of understanding of the property space and wants to go into you know development which is now you know developing property building residential property or blocks of flats 
from ground up what is the one thing you know that i need to do to begin well first of all you know you've got a natural ability to it and and you've done an awful lot of you've got a large portfolio and all the rest of it so you know it's different for you probably than it is other people yeah. you find it naturally easy to do i think the most important thing when you're doing property development is consultants you need the consultants you need the planning consultants, you need the architects, you need the structure engineers, you need the building surveyor, you need the flood risk advisor, you need, you name it. Yeah. You need a serious team around you. Mm -hmm. And that team varies, obviously, depending on what development you're doing. Yeah. But they, but you're getting professional advice, professional advice of professionals who know what they're doing, they're fully qualified, they know what they're doing. When you're doing, you know, houses up, you, you know, it, you don't need those people. No. But when you start, you know, ground up, as we call it, you definitely need them. Uh, yeah. And they will protect you and advise you. They're expensive and they have to be built into the, to built cost-wise in, in, into the development. But they will advise you and protect you, especially the building surveyor. Save you a lot of money as well. Save you a lot of money. Yeah. And stop you getting into trouble. Might stop you buying one or two. Yeah. Which is good because yeah. you would have made a mistake on them, maybe, potentially. Um, but, but you know, like we said earlier, surround yourself with the best people. You mentioned, you know, during this conversation so far, you said, you know, you would make mistakes yeah. and it's a little bit of fun. Let's get on with it. Obviously, your experience in the industry is what makes you say that, that, you know, you know, you make mistake. It, it, it's never going to go according to plan, but get on with it. Yeah. Now, for me, that is a lot of mindset issue there because you know not a lot of people have that you know get a you know pick it up you know get along with it mindset and you're you're very good at mindset and you teach it and you do yeah. i've heard you and and you're very good at it yeah you know, some people naturally don't need it in my view and others need a lot of it um and both of them can succeed in property without question when i look at a deal they all people automatically think you're you're a risk taker you're a risk taker. You're a risk taker, John. And I was speaking in Manchester quite recently and this guy comes up to me and he goes, I couldn't take the risks you take, John. I couldn't do it, couldn't do it. I said, well, we try and de-risk everything before we start. And he, I said, what do you do? He says, I build one-off houses for footballers. Really? How much are they? Oh, between three and five million each. That's a risk to me yep. because it would worry me to death to do a house. Just a house. Who's to say it's worth five million or three million? For one celebrity. Do you know what I mean? And also, if you had, couldn't sell it, you had to rent it. You yep. could never get a return on your money. Yep. So I, would, I, I see that as a bigger risk than what I do. And because I spread everything around the country and I do multiple numbers. So, you know, and I always say to people, you know, if you can do three, a, a deal which has got three or four units, it's safer in a way than doing one unit because you can, you've got that flexibility of keeping two, keeping three, selling them all, renting them all. You've got more flexibility. Um, and de-risking is really important. So we try and de-risk everything before we start, literally. We, we, I ask myself the question, to get the answer, I ask myself the question. And the question is, if it all goes wrong, if everything goes wrong, can I yeah. get my money back? Yeah. And if the answer is yes, so I, I do it. So I look at a deal in three ways, really. One, can I get the bank's money back? Yeah. That's the first one. That's a relief to get the bank's money back because it means the bank isn't going to come after you. Two, can I get my money back? I put in all my investors' money. No, it's my money. Great. So that's so the first one's the bank. That's a relief. The second one is my own money. That's yeah. a relief. And the great one, the best one, is the profit. Yeah. The best one's the profit. Profit. Wow, John, it's been amazing having you on the podcast. Just as we wrap up this episode, right? A few things I wanted to ask you as well is we don't know what next year is going to be like in this industry. We have a possibility of a new government coming in. Mm. And I know you're very familiar when it comes to government, yep. policies, yes. you know, legislation, which this is just more like a very intro, very informal chat, just getting the audience to know you a bit more uh, and just, you know, he, you know, hearing some of your experience in your 40 plus years 
Yeah, she keep reminding me. You're, yeah. <laughs> You're 40 Thank you for years that. experience. And uh, so we don't, you know, you got label hammering on one part of, of, of investing in property. You have, you know, the conservative currently, you know, where, you know, I think they've done pretty well. I mean, this government, I've been in, I've, I go into property over the last six years. So predominantly, ever since I've been in property uh, over the last six years now, it's been the conservative in power. So I've not really experienced what the Labour government looked like. But there's a lot that's changing. Mm. 2024 <clears throat> and beyond, for those who are looking to get into property, land development, commercial development, with government policies, what is the impact you think it's going to have? Well, I think interest rates have probably stabilised. And I think interest rates around base rate of 5% is probably where they need to be. Yeah. People will get used to it. You know, people will, they had it too good for too long. Far too good for too long. And you know, interest rates of, you know, less than 1%, madness. Uh, that's the first thing. So I think I think people will get used to, to um, higher interest rates. And I think they're here to stay on the whole. They might drop a little bit next year, but not a great deal. I think the economy, you know, been, you know they, they bought 400 billion to get us through COVID. I mean, that's a massive for any government. You can't, win, really, they can't win with having done that. I mean, it's very, very hard. There will be a general election. I don't, I think it could be as late as January 2025. That's what I, I'm, I'm now told it could be. I was told that by a minister, whether they're, they know what they're doing or not, I don't know, <laughs> who knows. Um, but maybe that's right. Um, Michael Gove, who, who's the levelling up and, and the housing secretary, hasn't really helped uh, the housing sector very much, in my view. It's been pretty difficult with landlords. You've got uh, Section 21 and all this sort of thing changing. Yeah. Uh, the Rent Reformers Act, it's all going to come in. Um, most of it is negative for landlords, in my view. But of course, that gives opportunities. 47,000 less landlords this year than last year. 26,000 landlords have left the business this year as well. So that gives opportunities yeah. for everything else, everybody else. There's a massive housing shortage. Yeah. So that is going to underwrite the market to a great extent. Um, but I think it's going to be a steady year. Normally, always, when in the general election year, things are very steady because People are cautious. They're not sure who's going to be in government and all the rest of it. Unfortunately, you and I, I think, do know who's going to be in government. Well. Don't we? Yeah. We kind of know where, where it's going. Sadly. Sadly. So, if at the moment with all these different policies that is affecting, you know, um, the landlord market, yeah. you know, it almost feels like the landlord is the enemy. Well, if you think they're the enemy now, you wait till Labour get in. <laughs> It'll be a lot worse. Wow. A lot worse. How can how can landlords, how can those who are looking to, you know, um, mitigate, how can they survive? Well, I think I, 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 I'm excited. Um, excited is the wrong word, probably. When people are getting out of something, there's always opportunities. Opportunity, yep. Uh, and opportunities. So, you know, I'm, I'm optimistic that over the next few years, there'll be plenty of money to be made out of property. 100%. One way or the other. And I think that, you know, Labour normally will spend more than the Conservatives, although that will be difficult, I think, for them. They'll be tougher on landlords because they, they, they really don't believe anyone should own more than one home. Um, even, though, even though you're only in a company? Mm. Structures. Mm. Well, we'll see, won't we? I mean, I think they'll, I think, I think they'll be on the side of social landlords, social tenants more than they will private landlords. I've been pretty poor, as we said just now, on with for private social, landlords. Social tenants has you always know. been a headache. Social, yeah. When and when they say they're going to build one and a half, one and a half million homes, they mean social housing. They don't mean private. They mean social. No, that's what they mean by that. So we'll have to see. Wow. John, this is exciting that you're here today and um, we're looking forward to doing so many other things. Yeah. 
Um, maybe we should touch a little bit on that. We, you know, I do a lot of trainings around BRRs, rent to rents, you know, property sourcing, and you do more of the advanced stuff and um, especially, like I said, development. So for those who really want to know about development, you know, which is, like I said, building ground up, you know, like you said, upper, even commercial property investment, commercial property development, yeah. you know, and so on. Um, we are going to be doing a few things, you know, together where people can obviously come and see us, speak to us. Yeah. So let's, let's, let's talk a little bit about that to get them excited. You know, okay. as to the reason why, because if you were in property 40 years plus ago and I came in six years ago and I'm making money and you're, you've made your money, you're still making money yeah. and you're still going to go and make more. Why should people get to, you know, develop? Well, well, the first thing I, I've been asked by, I mean, I just do a small amount of, you know, I do a few seminars. I get asked to speak at different events. Um, I do some private mentorship one to one. I don't do a huge amount of it because I'm busy doing my own stuff. I yeah. can do some of it. Um, and then um, I've been asked by a number of property educators over the years uh, what I like to, you know, do some do some um, work with them and so on. And I've never felt that comfortable with most of them, to be honest with you. That's mm. the truth. But with you, Daniel, I felt comfortable when I met you. I felt comfortable from the start. I've seen how you work um, and... Um, that you're offering a, a genuine, a genuine, you know, genuine service, if you like, yeah. to improve people's lives, and I think that's important. And I'm happy to be part of it. You know, you're the expert uh, on on the on the on the rent to rent and the buy to lets and all the rest of it. Um, and some of your some of your um, clients and so on, and part of your you know your group will want to step up and do. Bigger deals. Bigger deals. The natural thing is to move, is to be, for the ones who are ambitious, if they're not ambitious, it doesn't matter. But if the ones who are, you know, it's to step up and perhaps start doing more more development type deals. And I'm very happy to be part of uh, what you're creating. And, um, you know, it's got to be fun and enjoyable. Yep. Um, and I'm looking forward to next year. Absolutely. Absolutely, John. Thank you so much for having you on the Wealth and Business Podcast. By the way, there's going to be a show notes, John's uh, uh, social media handles and every other thing else is going to be in there. And we are going to be uh, running a masterclass. So for any one of you who want to come and learn about commercial property development, uh, you know, land development, you know, building all the way ground up to flats, you know, there's going to be definitely a link on the, on the, on the, on the show notes. Click on the link register yourself uh, for that masterclass and myself and john will see you there at the masterclass so john anything you want to say i i think like we said you know business has got to be fun yep. uh and um it's serious but it, but it can also be enjoyable as well absolutely uh, and if it's not enjoyable you shouldn't do it in my view <laughs> yes uh, so we're going to have some fun we're going to enjoy it yeah we're going to give people lots of information yep. lots of confidence and i think confidence is a really big thing yes to have the confidence to go out and and, and do what they want to do and what and achieve what they want to achieve yeah and i'm passionate to help people do that absolutely as you are thank you so much john for having me on the Pleasure. podcast see you soon